Hi, and welcome to another episode of Civic List. I'm Matthew Camp. I'm joined by two candidates for New York City Council, Johanna Garcia and Dan Cohen. How are you, how are you doing today? Great. Doing great. Thank you. Good. So happy you're here to join us and talk a little bit about uh, City Council and why you're running. So that's my first question. Um, Johanna, why, you, why would you want to run for City Council? Uh, why would I? Uh, it's, uh, I've often said that anyone that runs for uh, office has to have a little bit of insanity uh, in their brain. Um, uh, so it really does have to be a calling. Uh, and I think just having worked in government and worked with tenants association, parent associations, um, and seeing where we are as, as a nation, as a state, and as a city, uh, there is a huge opportunity um, that we have uh, to transform um, our elections and our, and our representation on a city level. Uh, and my experiences as the daughter of immigrants, as a single mom of three, uh, navigating the public school system with two children with IEPs, uh, and really uh, listening to my neighbors about corruption with the IDC and bringing that down, uh, corruption with developers and taking over our uh, our communities uh, and bringing them the rezoning. Uh, it's it's time for a voice like mine. And when I say like mine, I'm talking about uh, Afro Latina daughter, son, non gender uh, youth feeling displaced, feeling evicted, uh, discriminated, um, all that stuff. Uh, that voice has to be in the city council. And I'm really eager to amplify those issues, those voices in the city council. So great, thank you. And and so the audience knows Joanna's running for District 10 in Northern Manhattan. Um, thank you for, for sharing that. And Dan, how about you? Why do you wanna run? For right, I'm so glad you said that because I wouldn't want your viewers to think that I was running against her because if she were running in this, if we were running the same district, I'd drop out and endorse Joanna because I'm not I'm not that big a fool. Like, you know, I, I, I think she's superb. Um, I, I'm running in the seventh, a different district adjacent to the 10th. Um, uh, for many of the same reasons. Um, uh, I'm motivated as a call to serve. Um, I do think that if you decide you want to run for office, you should talk to a therapist first. Uh, luckily, I'm married to one, so I, I get that service uh, free. Um, you know, don't tell the campaign finance board. Um, I, uh, I'm a parent as well uh, with a child in the public school system as well as a public school graduate. And the, um, uh, the challenges of navigating in uh, public school under optimal circumstances are trying for any parent. And the fact that we're trying to do this in a pandemic only adds, uh, you know, the, the madness uh, up to a thousand. Uh, I, I work for a not-for-profit uh, working in affordable housing. And uh, the affordable housing issue is the number one concern in my district and uh, is part of the motivation for my running for city council because I feel so strongly about trying to address the trying to address the issue, and I don't believe that the current administration has done a particularly good job at that. Um, but because I care about a lot of other things too, that's why City Council feels like the next step for me. Uh, I want to work on education and transportation and uh, climate change and a bunch of other issues, and uh, the, the joy of working in affordable housing has been my pleasure, but the constraints of it has also um, prevented me from really exercising my, uh, my, my work in other areas, and that's what's motivated me to run for city council. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm hearing a lot about education, affordable housing, transportation, climate change. Um, <clears throat> certainly your districts have a lot in common, um, mm -hmm. running from you know the west side of Manhattan all the way up to Inwood. 
And uh, there are so many issues and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of constituents that you would represent. I'm wondering what's your process for discovering what's most important to voters? Johanna. So as a public um, school parent, as, a, as an education activist, um, I've, I've had those conversations for a very long time uh, with fellow parents about what's wrong with our schools. And I've experienced it uh, firsthand. Uh, and as Dan mentioned, now uh, in COVID time, uh, those inequities are uh, just too hard to ignore, even for those that have had their head burrowed in the sand. Uh, and it is conversations that I have constantly on a daily basis of what needs to happen to transform our schools and to change the definition of normal. Um, there are discussions about going back to normal, uh, but going back to normal is just simply—it's it's simply unacceptable for the majority of the students in our public school education. Uh, I know that firsthand, and I know uh, that many, many parents uh, in this district share that. Um, and also, in, in my work with North Manhattan's Not for Sale, uh, talking to tenant leaders, feeling the squeeze. Uh, right now, uh, we already had an issue where uh, individuals, families in our communities felt rent burden, uh, but now with skyrocketing uh, unemployment rates, now with dealing with uh, food insecurity, which are huge issues, uh, these, are, these are conversations uh, that come to me on a daily basis, especially as chief of staff to Senator Robert Jackson, we are inundated with calls uh, for help for people that are like, they just don't know what to do to keep their head above water. Um, and it's very um, heartbreaking, um, especially when you know, uh, these are the elderly, these are moms. Uh, you sometimes have young college students saying, I need help or I've, uh, there was even a student who in college, who was gonna drop out of college uh, because he lost his only surviving parent to COVID. Uh, and three weeks later, lost his other guardian, his grandmother. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden, he was responsible for his two younger siblings. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had to triage around that. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it's not rare uh, in our community. Uh, so it's really about keeping your ears open. Uh, I've had these channels of communications uh, for a long time, but we have to do more to be out there. Yeah, it sounds really challenging. And you being in your current role and your previous roles gives you a sense of what what the important issues are. Uh, Dan, what's your what's your process for discovering sure. what's most important? Uh, I mean, like Joanne, I'm also a longtime resident of, of my district, and so I've uh, gotten to know uh, people in the in my role as state committeeman. Uh, I've been the elected state committeeman for over a decade, and have had a chance to talk to people over uh, many years and form deep. Uh, roots here to hear about what problems are occurring. It's not just in the past couple of months or in the pandemic, it's been over years what uh, the knowledge uh, that I've been trying to uh, accumulate, uh, the tiny bit of wisdom that I've, I've managed to, uh, to gather. Um, uh, certainly in my work, I've seen uh, the need for affordable housing. Um, the, uh, the projects that um, we've been um, involved in, not as a developer, but as a nonprofit sponsor, um, will regularly see um, 
thousands of people apply for a single unit of housing. That's routine in the city. Um, and that kind of disproportionate demand with the um, tiny supply only highlights the need for more affordable housing. That's why I've called for the creation of uh, at least a thousand new units of permanently affordable housing in District 7 on sites that are either owned or controlled by the city. Uh, but your question was more specific about how do I learn uh, what, what people are feeling and thinking. Um, I'd say broadly, and I'm sure Joanna shares this sentiment, that New Yorkers are a cranky, outspoken bunch. I don't, I don't think that anybody, uh, you know, as a New Yorker, doesn't voice their opinions regularly. Uh, um, uh, so I, I, I get an earful uh, all the time. Um, but also, I believe that uh, the, the part of the campaign, part of the, this process of running for office is is trying to talk to as many people as possible and hear what they have to say. It's, it's more often than not, I'm not talking about what's on my mind and what I'm doing and what I want to do. It's more I'm listening to what people want me to do and what they, what they care about. I, I rarely feel that there's any uh, concern about not getting enough information. It's more just trying to uh, fit in as much as I possibly can. Uh, and I've distilled it to, to really about three or four issues. I think uh, uh, Joanna and I are, are on, on, on page with, with probably just about all of them. The, uh, and the education issue is, is pointed. I, I, I want to highlight Joanna's comment and, and absolutely uh, echo it, where uh, going back to normal, normal wasn't great to begin with. It's not like somehow that if we return to normal, everything's okay again. I mean, um, District uh, 3, which is uh, entirely uh, within the 7th, and District 5, um, uh, also in the 7th, but District 6, which I share with Joanna um, across uh, um, the, the two council districts, the, the uh, sorry, the, the school districts, uh, uh, District 6, school district yeah. 6, which I share with Joanna, um, has had uh, a series of real challenges and, and uh, serious inequities that, um, that need to be addressed. And it's, it's partially um, about poverty. Let's be clear, we're talking about not enough resources. And um, Joanna and uh, Senator Jackson, who she works for, have worked uh, tirelessly to try to get uh, federal funding, uh, excuse me, state funding from a a lawsuit. Uh, $4 billion is owed to the city to help uh, pay for education. We've been denied that now with a, a majority in the legislature that's veto-proof in New York State. Perhaps we'll actually start to see some of that money. Um, that's been a big part of it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's surprised you about running so far? Um, <clears throat> what surprises me? Uh, that's a, I, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm not surprised by anything because um, I've, I've just seen and, and it just so open to any possibility. Um, Joanna's so jaded. She's seen it all. <laughs> I'm not jaded at all. I'm, I'm, the, the sense of idealism, you know, uh, it's just so important in our work. Um, but actually, um, I am surprised by how quickly, uh, and it's another characteristic of New Yorkers, uh, we adapt. Um, we we adapt to circumstances that we never imagined we'd be in. Uh, you'd you're we're seeing the elderly figuring out how to stay connected, um, whether it's huge like conference calls, telethons, like tele uh, town halls, or figuring out how to get on Zoom. Um, I'm always shocked when I see my mother like something on IG. I think my mom's on IG. Um, uh, so I, I'm really surprised at how um, people look for ways uh, to, to be connected, not that they want con 
to be connected. That's definitely always part of what's been part of New York. Um, and also because we are a city that had to deal with 9-11, um, I was not surprised that New Yorkers always want to step up and help one another. Uh, but we really, in this pandemic, had to really scratch our heads because of social isolation, because of having to be quarantined, because of the digital divide, because not everyone knows how to do it uh, with our, we are, our computers, because we don't have the infrastructure or free internet as we should. Um, every person should have um, access to free internet. Um, but how neighbors really, and I wanna like really frame this the right way, how some were able to reflect on the privilege that they have anchor that privilege and assess who doesn't have that same privilege and help. And there's all kinds of privilege. There's two-parent home privilege, uh, there's racial privilege, there's socioeconomic privilege, and there's privilege to access to government processes or elected officials and understanding how to navigate that. And being able to like reflect and say, we have to do something for our neighbors. Um, we have to also look beyond our immediate backyard when we look at how we won races in Georgia, um, when we look at how we got the majority uh, in the US Senate, when we look at how we took down uh, the IDC, how we got progressive individuals in the assembly, that happened because there were individuals that said, my immediate backyard or my living room might be okay. My refrigerator may be well stocked, but there, this, is, this is bigger than me. And I have to go beyond that. Um, so that has uh, that the way that people have been persistent, because let me, I mean, let's be honest, the pandemic tends to bog you down when you think the curve is like going down, you know, you got to go, you got to double down, but people have been persistent uh, in staying connected and helping each other. Um, that's been uh, gratefully surprising uh, yeah. for me. Yeah, I like this idea of, you know, staying connected, that's, you know, the objective of Civic List is to build community. And, and so it sounds like this process of reflecting on privilege and then taking action is a good, is a good method that you've, that you've seen and been pleasantly surprised. How about you, Dan? I, I wanna echo uh, Joanna's comments. I'm, I'm continually surprised at the ingenuity uh, that's been displayed by New Yorkers uh, and the, uh, the ability of, uh, of people to, uh, to adapt and to learn new things. My, my mother, also on Zoom, not yet on Instagram, uh, but uh, nonetheless has become pretty savvy, and I find that to be uh, wonderful. Uh, you know, it's actually how we uh, still communicate. We used to have um, Shabbat dinner in my home with my mom would come over on Friday nights uh, every week uh, for, for many years, uh, and now she can't because of the COVID risk, but we've been uh, uh, FaceTiming and, and uh, Zooming so that she's been able to, to still see us and it helps with her isolation. Uh, with my father's passing several years ago, uh, she's alone and uh, that's been uh, somewhat uh, helpful there. Um, I guess I've, I've also really been in, um, I, the thing, the biggest thing that surprises me is that the, every time I think that the City Hall has sort of reached a level of incompetence, they manage to surprise me by exceeding it. And, and, and I, it, it's not just that, um, yeah, it's it's and and, and I, I will point out actually to the schools something that I know that that Joanna has worked hard on in, in her in her district and that has been a persistent concern for me and mine is there's still not everyone has access to um, to to be able to do remote learning. There are still a few thousand children 
um, almost a year after the pandemic has been um, uh, addressed, uh, not addressed, but uh, immersed in it, that they still have not been able to get um, remote devices and um, access to a, a few thousand kids. And that is, in fact, there's also a few thousand kids they can't find. My son's school, he's in third grade, uh, and my son's school has about 400 children in it. So essentially five of my son's schools have disappeared off their radar. And I, I find that to be uh, astonishing. And that, that really, I, I had, um, I somehow had thought that they were a year later would have been able to get their act together. And it is, that is remarkable that they, that they haven't. Um, and the one other thing I'll say that's been surprising, which I had not been prepared for, is, um, I don't know if Joanna's experienced this, but this is, um, uh, this is very lonely. The campaigning has been really lonely. Um, you can't canvas, really. Like, if I tried to go into a building and knock on doors and, 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 and introduce myself, I'd get arrested. And, and it's, it's really hard to do that in a pandemic. And so a lot of it is this, sitting at my desk, talking to my computer screen, and and that's very lonely. That's very lonely. And I was not prepared for that. I, I have been uh, moments. It's been very depressing and very sad. Uh, and and that's I'm I'm generally a, I'm a you know cup half full. I'm usually a cup all the way full kind of person. And and to feel sort of this sense of sadness has been um, surprising. I wasn't. I, I know that running for office, particularly in this country, um, we we run as individuals. You know other. Other countries have parties. You, you run as a, as a slate, as a whole group, and, and, and that's how you get elected. But here it's very individual, perhaps, you know, reflecting America's uh, uh, cultural uh, interest in sort of the rugged individualism. And I, I'm fine as an American. I, I, I understand that. But there was always a sense of interacting with people on the street and shaking hands and talking to them and having really intense conversations on the street, whether they were happy ones or arguments with people. I sort of relish that that interaction and the, the near total absence of that or to be covered up with a mask, to be unable to see and read a person's faces and their emotions has been very distressing. And I was, I was not prepared for that. And that, that was a real surprise. Uh, and I think it will, we're just going to have to deal with it um, until we, we can get past this. So, May I add uh, to um, Dan's uh, excellent points, um, which were many, Dan. Um, Mental health has always been um, undervalued uh, as, yeah. as a priority. Uh, when you look at our, uh, where our federal, state, and city dollars go, um, when you look at some of the ills of our society, or what I call the gaslighting of issues, mm -hmm. uh, mental health uh, just doesn't get the attention that it deserves. Um, it's getting more attention. Um, and I, I have seen that when you have a, uh, when you have a disproportionate impact on, uh, of an issue, uh, of a consequence on uh, minority groups, um, it's like you're, you're, you're like going against a wave. This is important, this is important. Uh, when then it includes the largest swaths of, of who's there in the demographics uh, in terms of wealth, then then it's an issue that gets elevated. Because like, hey, you know, and, and sometimes that's fine because we, uh, every, every movement, every movement uh, was never won in isolation by those impacted. It's one with allies. 
always. Um, so it's always important to build bridges um, in, in issues. But yes, mental health um, as a candidate uh, uh, is, is difficult. Um, my daughter uh, went back to college, I think uh, a week ago. Uh, I think she's getting sick of my text, like, hey, how are you? Love you, you're great, <laughs> be your own joy. Um, I look to my son who's just like, you know, video games is his life. And I'm trying to, I'm talking to his headphones. Um, so it is difficult, but I also see it in my community with uh, especially immigrant Latinx communities. There's, you know, we're so like, what do you mean? I can't kiss you on the cheek. I can't hug you. And sometimes culturally I keep a distance, but I see there's a little bit of offense there. Uh, so <laughs> mental health and just like the way that we're interacting with each other uh, is something to contend with. But I really wanted to piggyback on what Dan said about uh, the city's uh, ability to just continue to be reactionary to yeah, what yeah. we've been going through in this pandemic. There's to be no forethought, just- Seriously, I, I mean, some of it is systemic. So you would yeah. think there is data research and they've been doing their own kind of listening tours to come up with policies that make sense, uh, but they continue to fail to do that. It's why parents are kind of like, yo-yo, like, uh, are we in today? Are we not? You know, what's up, what's down? Um, but also let's talk about uh, public safety. Let's talk about how tone deaf City Hall has been. Yeah. Let's talk about the protests that occurred, the peaceful protest that occurred over the summer, the mountains of testimony of police brutality, of, uh, of videos that we've seen and still we heard from City Hall no, I, that there was trust that things were, you know, dealt with appropriately. And it took, it took a formal investigation for them to admit. They, and, that, and that is part of why I'm, I'm excited with people like Dan and, and me going into the city council, because we have to start making sure government listens to the people. It's yeah. not like we didn't hear it. It's not like we didn't know. It's not like there wasn't every single reason to believe that what we were seeing, what we were hearing was systemic racism and that it had to be dealt with. There is a, a level of tone deafness that has had just detrimental impacts to our community. Yeah, it's good to hear that people like you are running for office because you are connected to the communities and you could help amplify that message, especially to the executive branch mayor's office, if and when you're elected. Um, so the election you're all running for is only two year terms, right? And that's, that's a new, new shift. And then there's another set of two year terms. And then I think they're going back to four years after that. So there's a little bit of like, uh, education, I think even the voters, we need to know about that like that's unusual that's only two years and two years goes by so fast um so i interviewed eric adams recently and asked him about if you were to win mayor let's say two terms you know and then it's eight plus years out from today what would the city look like and what are the hopes and aspirations so i want to ask you to something similar to that even though you're running for a short you know two terms um what's your hope for the city to look like in 10 years from now you want to take that view? Uh, 
Uh, sure, sure. Um, I, I, I just on the two-year term thing. I mean, that's actually built into the the, the, um, the city charter. Every 20 years, uh, just the way that the city elections, because they're on odd-numbered years, uh, we have uh, two two-year terms, and then we shift back to a four-year term. Uh, so um, I'm too I'm too young to remember that, but yes. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I'm old. Um, the the so it, we actually had this 20 years ago. We had two-year terms uh, where people then uh, ran and then they got um, reelected and then they uh, served a full four-year term for a complete eight years. So. Uh, uh, Joanna and I, when we get elected to city council, we'll have uh, eight-year terms, even if they're, they're essentially three of them together. Um, the uh, 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 ten years, uh, yeah, that the ten-year question is a good one because if you try to think about where were we ten years ago, right? I mean, um, in uh, in at the end of uh, uh, say 2010, um, we had just come off a really bad recession that had um, uh, led to substantial job loss uh, and. Uh, significant economic dislocation across the city and across the country, and that was um, we were beginning to crawl out of it. We were beginning to see um, a new, uh, a new, a new moment. We were just turning into a new presidential election. Um, uh, I think Obama had yet not yet announced, but was um, preparing to. No, wait, I'm sorry, 2008. Uh, he had it was running for re-election, and it was he was finishing his. I'm all, I'm all turned upside down. No, sorry, um, he had not yet announced. Uh, it was it was George Bush's um, final term, and and, uh, and Barack Obama was running. Right? Am I doing this all wrong? 2016? No, he got elected in 2008, so it was 2012. All right, so we're in the middle of Obama's term. Got to got to get the, the the scheduling right. Next time, Joanna goes first because clearly I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but I, I think we were hopeful. I think there was also some disappointments that we didn't get all of the things that we wanted. You know, I mean that we we saw the sort of both the 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 possibilities of of the Obama administration partially realized with Obamacare and healthcare, but then also the, the, the disappointments of where things fell short, both because I think of a calculated um, um, uh, mistake and misstep on the part of the Obama administration, thinking that somehow if they had a good argument that they'd be able to convince Republicans to go along with them. We're not going to make that mistake this time on the federal branch. Um, and and the, uh, the challenges of um, uh, of a new um, administration um, uh, coming in with uh, with de Blasio. Um, I mean, I I was uh, s uh, snookered by de Blasio. I supported him when he ran the first time. I I, I thought um, he had uh, thoughtful ideas and he seemed to be um, uh, patient and, and and seemed to be um, he hadn't yet served but he was running and he, I I thought some of the other candidates who were running didn't seem practical and realistic. I like the fact that he came from um, uh, uh, hard scrabble roots and they had a multiracial family and I thought this that there was promise there. So 10 years later I think we can say a lot of those things fell short and that um, uh, identity wasn't sufficient to be sensitive as Joanna rightly pointed out um, that uh, th that personal experience didn't translate into political and professional point of view um, and the, the very people that protested over the summer and the very causes that we protested over the summer that would have a direct impact on on his family and his his community um, in, um, in have been largely ignored and the fact that it took a federal or state intervention from the attorney general um, to to point out where um, human rights and civil rights were repeatedly violated by the cops is kind of astonishing and how so, about <laughs> jumping to 10 years from today yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that we, 
for the most part, I don't see mayors tend not to make the mistakes of their predecessors. They make new ones. So um, I, I believe actually that we'll probably be in a better position when it comes to um, racial and economic equality, equity, really, uh, because the, the current crop of mayors, with few exceptions, have talked about that as a, an important issue that they want to work on. I, I anticipate with a progressive city council um, that we will shift our focus towards um, providing affordable housing for the people who really need it, um, which is people who make less than $40,000 a year in both of our districts, in the 7th and the 10th. We're almost the same in terms of of economic need. It's, it's people under the $40,000 limit, which very little affordable housing at that level is being constructed. So I, I see that as progress. But there'll be other things that I think we're going to, we're going to miss. Uh, um, the, uh, I think the, the ed challenges in education are, are going to be very hard. We didn't get to this level of educational segregation in the de Blasio term. It's been decades in the making. And it will require hard effort for it to be changed. I am personally hopeful that that is going to happen with a newly invigorated city council. But I am also maybe a bit of a cynic where I'm, I'm prepared for the fact that it's going to be very difficult to make those changes and that we're going to have to work even harder and that 10 years from now, some changes will be made, but not nearly enough. Mm -hmm. That isn't pessimistic. I'm trying to be you know, maybe manage my own expectations, hopefully that sure. we succeed. You're, you're trying to make sure that you, 10 years later, won't look back at this and say you were wrong. <laughs> right, I, I'd love to be able to say, well, only in the wrong that's like, oh no, we've made so much more progress. Look at that, everybody's got an excellent education. We got the $4 billion, look, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, 10 years ago, uh, uh, we had Bloomberg, um, for mayor, uh, yeah. and I was in the city council for that. I, I know how difficult it was uh, to deal with an executive branch uh, that was so focused on who, who uh, thought stop and frisk uh, was a great idea in policing our communities, uh, that thought it was a good idea uh, to treat our public school system as corporations and business yeah. models, uh, that thought that charter schools uh, were the best thing uh, uh, to come to, to our neighborhoods. Um, and 10 years from now, um, I hope, and I'm, and, um, yeah, I, I really hope, and I'm, I'm pretty positive that we will see the, the result of the reckoning that we're seeing now. Right now, there is a, there's been since uh, we experienced the Trump administration, a call for transparency, accountability. These are not sexy words like, you know, being progressive, you know, it's a sexy word. It's, it sounds pretty bureaucratic, right? These words, transparency and, uh, and accountability, but it is the best gift that we can give to the democratic process. Um, because it is, it is only within those windows that we can hold our electeds accountable, that we can learn how these archaic processes have worked against us, how we can organize to change it, how we can uh, create movements to wake people up and be part of the solution. 
And what makes me really hopeful is that that waking up, that, hey, there's this thing, transparency and accountability that really matters, it's trickling down to a younger generation. We have to think about the younger generation right now. Uh, they're they're going to be even more prepared than we were in 10 years from now. I remember having a back and forth with my own kids. I was teasing them and calling them Zoomers, uh, which they didn't appreciate. Uh, then they say that I was uh, a boomer. And I said, no, sorry, I'm Generation X, proud Generation Xer. Um, <laughs> we can serve, we're good in a pandemic. <laughs> uh, we have all, all those traits. Um, but uh, my, my discussions with, with, with the young people in my house, I know are similar discussions that are being held in many living rooms and many kitchen tables. And you see more of our young people providing testimony, hitting the streets, marching, protesting. They will be in office. So I'm really hopeful of what 10 years will come from now. And then 10 years from now, we will see smaller class sizes. We will see our schools fully funded. We will see more investment in our communities. We will see less of a need uh, for policing poverty and mental health. Uh, and we will see uh, better, equal, higher access uh, to health care uh, because we're here now but we are mindful. And when I say we, I'm, I'm, I'm including you, Matt, doing this, uh, this program. I'm including Dan, I'm including myself and so many progressive minded people running for office right now. We are mindful that we are temporarily carrying the mantle for those that are com coming after us, for those that we are mentoring and that we are making sure is not a conversation about wait your turn. It's a conversation, your turn is now. Your voice is now. This table is yours now. Uh, and that's what I hope we will see. And I'm pretty sure if our, um, if our youth have anything to say about it, that's what will happen in 10 years. Mm, that's wonderful. That's super exciting. And I will have learned 10 years from now to always let Joanna go first. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I knew that, but I, I definitely should have let her go first. And I would like to amend all my previous comments <laughs> and just say what she said. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. Well, I think between what you've both said today, you know, we've, we've learned a lot about your backgrounds, your candidacy, your, your goals for the future. Um, is there anything else before we wrap up? Any other um, people, organizations that you want to give a shout out to or any other closing thoughts that we haven't covered? I definitely want to give a shout out uh, to every parent association. I, I think people take for granted the kind of organizing uh, that happens at a level, at, at a school level. A shout out to every tenant association, but also those that have been uh, helping us do that work, uh, like Alliance for Quality um, Education, uh, small class sizes. Uh, we, we have all the indivisible groups that have been doing uh, this work uh, and all the youth groups that have been out there. I want to give a shout out to all the community-based organizations that have yet to receive their allocation from the city and state and have been doing more with less in this pandemic. And last but not least, I need to give a shout out to the educators that show up in front of a computer or in the classroom um, every day to make sure um, that our young minds are not lost. So thank you. 
Um, I, uh, I echo that and just say that the two organizations in specific that I'd want to shout out to are, are WEAC, uh, West Harlem Environmental uh, Justice Organization, which has been at the forefront of providing um, environmental action and environmental justice in West Harlem. Um, and the, the battle isn't won yet. There's still a lot to be done, but I admire their record of achievement and, uh, and I'm excited to be a part of it and uh, hope to carry their banner forward if I'm elected to the city council. And the other is um, a group called Cloth, uh, which has been a, a longtime stalwart also uh, in, in the Community League of the Heights, which has been um, critical at um, providing social services, human services, and um, affordable housing in, uh, in, in actually both our districts. Uh, and they have been uh, absolutely necessary. And we need both those groups, and we need a lot more like them to be able to, to get where we want to go. Uh, this has been great, uh, Matt. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt. I really appreciate you taking it. Yeah, uh, oh, likewise. And, and I'll mention um, the New York Youth Civics Initiative and YCI.org is a new group that I think you'd both be interested in that um, is getting together youth across the city and the state to uh, work on civics and environmental causes. And um, they've got a lot of great programs coming up. So that's just my little shout out to them. Um, thank you both so much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm going to hit uh, the stop button recording, uh, but uh, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.